For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The NFL season is in full swing. Want to know what else is in full swing, Al? What else? The Masters. We watched Tiger just absolutely hadouken the course today. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at betonline.ag. Ride with Razi once again, another two in one week. I have not figured out my overall record, but I promise I will get it to you next week. This week, we got three more games. Bills plus two and a half. We got the Browns at minus three. Guess what our third pick is? Just go ahead and bet on Tiger to win it all because you know he's going to do it. But you know where he's going to do it other than Augusta? BetOnline.ag. Head online to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonus. Again, that's BetOnline.ag. Sign up today. What's he listening to? Same song, over and over. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We got Bow Wow in the house. My man Lil Zane, uh-huh. Lil Wayne, Sammy Singh took me. Strike one, caught you by surprise. Strike two, uh-huh. right before your eyes. Bitch three, this one's to the wall. Oh, Ain't on the phone like a shame on What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Believe in the Long Ball podcast with your hosts, Alan Styles and Orlando Razo. You know where to listen to us everywhere you get great podcasts, all those amazing platforms. Once you get there, be sure to rate us. Give us five stars if you like us. If you don't like us, don't give us five stars, but at least let us know why. Orlando, how are you doing? Why don't you give the good people a rundown of what we have on the show for today? Well, we got a lot going on. This is a a great weekend. It's Masters weekend. Tiger today was just absolutely dialed in. I mean, he was splendid. He was ambitious. He was everything with his form. True form. True Tiger. Opportunity. He just took advantage. Yeah, he took it full advantage. Um, But we do have a really special guest uh, lined up. He is the Houston Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, Chandler Rome. Uh, great interview. We talk, you know, basically all things Astros. Um, we get into some Correa, get into some Bregman, future of the team. Um, and then we talk a little bit about his time covering Alabama football and had some fun with, uh, with a little bit of Nick Saban talk at the end there. So we hope you enjoy it. But in the meantime, we're getting right into free agency it seems like there's a little bit more of a hot stove. The hot stove, it seems like the last, I don't even know, half decade or so has been ass. The hot stove has been ass cheeks. So it seems like there's a little bit more. And I think it starts with the headliner, the the Cy Young Award winner, right? Bauer? Like that's the reason he's really embracing this whole 
Of course. Well, you saw, I, I, and I think what you're alluding to is he took that picture with all the hats on his arms. Lids, lids guy. Yeah, lids guy, big lids guy. Yeah. I love a love a fitted hat. You know, the snapbacks came back, but you know, you got it. You got to love a nice fitted cap. Um, and you got to pay attention. Obviously, from a Giants fan standpoint, I noticed a couple of weeks ago. I think it was like John Heyman or someone said, I predict Trevor Bauer going to the Giants for five years. I didn't think that made very much sense, but I wasn't going to say no. Then I noticed, then you start noticing some things, the hats, and I'm doing very, very great detective work because he's he's holding the hats. So of course I noticed the hats that he doesn't have, does not have a Giants hat. Then I noticed that I believe the Yankees, and Dodgers, the Yankees hat was a camouflage hat and the Dodgers hat was in red. So to me, I know the Dodgers have a tiny bit of red, but to me, that's kind of disrespectful. Like I feel like putting a hat, putting a Yankees hat, the Yankees hat that you chose was a hat that like we were wearing back in seventh grade when the hats Swag. that didn't match the colors were in. So that tells Trevor me- Trevor jeans. Right, and, and I feel like knowing Trevor Bauer and his personality, that guy's not going to the Yankees. I don't need, you can't do the Conor McGregor walk. You can't do any of that. He doesn't have a lot of scruff, but I know he has some at some point. That guy's not going to the Yankees. He got the camouflage hat. That doesn't make any sense to me. The Dodgers, uh, he could go to the Dodgers, but again, you're you, a bright red ha- Dodgers hat. That doesn't, doesn't scream Dodgers to me. That, that was screams- a wild selection. Yeah, like, there's so much cooler Dodgers. You got to go to the back for that. That's not even in the front. That's not even in the front of the store. Well, you got to say, hey, made maybe for him. Those are like the ones on sale. Like they're on sale. Clearance rack. So, right. You have to clearance rack for those two hats. So those are out. Besides that, you know, you got the White Sox and a couple other places. Um, the, the rumors are everywhere. Uh, and they have Trevor Bauer going to the Dodgers for four years, but nobody knows anything. Um, no offense, Tim Dierks. That's who wrote this uh, article. So he's an interesting one because you know he wants to go to a contender, which is why I thought the Giants were out. A a contender as far as not to just do what he just did with the Reds, (laughs) but to actually be in, you know, the Reds barely made the playoffs. The Giants are kind of in that area right now. So I don't see that. The Dodgers, this is crazy, man. If they get the, if, if, they get Trevor Bauer. We keep saying this about the Dodgers and we'll talk about this later. I've even heard some random stuff about them getting Lindor. So it's, it's, it's getting a little crazy here, but to stick to Trevor Bauer, I don't know where I see him going. He's such a, a wild card in that way, but I could say, I don't feel like he's going to go to the Yankees. I do feel fairly confident saying that. I wouldn't be surprised. First of all, I wouldn't be surprised if anyone just ends up with the Dodgers just because that's just seems to be how it goes. A lot of the time Mm -hmm. they have enough prospects to probably trade for like three more superstars. So I'm just not putting anything past the Dodgers anymore to, to do what they do um, just because it's just going to make me pissed off. (laughs) I agree. I do not think he's going to the Yankees, but the, the big popular choice I've seen in, with new ownership with the Mets, I I really think there's a solid chance he signs with the Mets Um, just because he's such a, an energy guy. He brings so much vibe 
to mm-hmm. a, a certain whether that be good or bad, however you may feel about him. But he does bring some sort of certain vibe, and that's what the Mets are looking for. That's been such a miserable, miserable franchise, even though they've had some runs here and there, but it's been such a miserable franchise. They're looking for some sort of, of vibe around that team, and you have Stroman now accepting qualifying offer. You have DeGrom, obviously, his his play speaks for itself. Syndergaard's coming back. Matt's probably just can never stay healthy. But nonetheless, if Bauer goes there, man, that's a sick rotation. Like, that is it is, an it is. unbelievable rotation. But we've not seen this. lineup either. It's not a bad line. That's what I was going to get to. Because we've seen this with the, the Mets, what was it, like three or four years ago when they went to the World Series uh, but weren't able to win. I really wanted Kurt to- I think Curtis Granderson was on that team and I really wanted him to get a ring, but you look at Yoannis Cespedes who, well, I don't know what's going on. That's a whole nother episode. I could do, I would love to do a a Cespedes podcast where we just talked about his shit. And then you look at Pete Alonso who has really had a really good breakout year. It's not enough hitting wise. I mean, especially nowadays, because as good as your pitching is, we know that, you got to have the hitting, the the Dodgers of the world, the Braves of the world. So I think it would be cool for him to go to the Mets. But if I'm a Mets fan, I'm saying this is great. But can we get some sticks in there? Like we, we enough is enough. Can we get some hitters in there? Because the whole, oh man, we feel so bad for our pitchers deal. I feel like it, it would be getting old for me. It's old for everyone that's that's associated with the Mets. Enough is enough. Yeah, I don't even know what it is because their bullpen stinks out loud too. So, I mean, right. Edwin Diaz has went from being so awesome to just being an absolute disaster there. Um, so there's a lot of holes in that team, but you could definitely cover up a bad offense easier than you could cover yes. up bad pitching. Yes, you got it. Yes, you got Robinson Cano, whatever's left of him will give you something. Right. No, that is. And it was a slightly better lineup. They have Conforto as well, but you're you're absolutely right. I just think with, with the new ownership they're they're going to make a splash in Mm -hmm. in free agency in in one way or another. Maybe they get Springer. Maybe they get Springer. Right. Well, that's our next guy. Are you saying Springer to the Mets? Is that your prediction? I'm saying this guy is coming in hot saying he he wants to win. What did he say? Within three to five years. Um, Evie boy. So it, you're really, you're really putting it out there uh, again. MLB trade rumors.com has George Springer going to the white Sox. I could be swag. I, I could see that. I could see that. Um, been drunk, Tony, him, him and Tony just, just having a ball, but we, and you'll, everybody will hear later. Uh, Chandler does not believe George Springer will be returning to the Astros. I think that's fairly well-known knowledge. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes next. We got JT Real Mudo as well. Uh, now, this site actually has him going to the Mets for five years. So the bottom line is they're going to get a hitter. They know they have to get a hitter. They didn't just listen to the pod and say, you know what? Alan South says we need some more hitting. They know they need to get hitting. We just need to see what it's going to be and if it's going to be enough. Right. They're going to get one of those three at least. Yes. And they may spend yes. more. I mean, this guy's all MLB owners are rich as fuck. I mean, this guy is saying, I'm not here to make money. I'm here to win. Mm -hmm. And 
as a player, there's nothing more that you want to hear than that because shockingly enough, there are so many owners out there, which is why most teams just consistently suck ass. It's because the owner does not give a fuck about winning. That's plain and simple. It's always the top down. So when you have someone at the very top that is preaching this culture and not just preaching it, but he's putting his money where his mouth is, it it re-energizes an entire organization. But Springer to the White Sox would be sick. And I've seen people that have ranked Real Muto as the best free agent available mm-hmm. in some yeah. in some websites. So that's um, a that's a pretty star studded. I know next year's class is awesome. Oh, we're not stars. done. We're not done. Oh, I know that. We're not done. So I feel like started. I can't keep up with Marcelo Zuna because he's just on a different National League team on the East Coast, like every year. Like Wait, every he's, year, he's a free agent again. So they they have him going to the Nationals for four years. What a nomad! What a and, nomad! And the only thing that goes with him, the only reason I know it's him, is because of that stupid highlighter arm sleeve that he wears swag. no matter where he is. No, that's not swag. It's it doesn't swag. make any sense. Just it, this isn't basketball, like you know the new fad in basketball where guys will wear shoes that just completely don't match at all. It doesn't hit this, and I even think that's eh, it's whatever. But the, the sleeve just doesn't hit for me. We'll we'll get back to Ozuna in a second. Did you see the Kuzmas that just dropped? No, no. But I can it's, only imagine. My God, they look. What is he on? What who's he signed to? I think he's Puma, and I'm Team oh. Puma for golf all day, every day. But Bryce basketball. Yeah. Hey, hey, and boogie. Boogie signed, and then people were like, yeah, then Boogie. DeAndre Ayton, I think, is Puma. Boogie might get a ring. You know, Boogie might get a ring somehow. Yeah, he was cut from the team and just working out, able to work out. He never played a game, right? I don't think so. I don't think he played. No, because he tore his ACL. Yeah, and like the He's going to give him a ring. Just give him one. Just give it to him. But anyway, Ozuna. Ozuna has a very – they're going to announce the MVPs here actually pretty soon while we're recording. Mm -hmm. Um Ozuna had a, as good a legitimate uh, argument as anyone to be the MVP of the league this year in, he in did. the 60 game season. He was awesome. The guy does nothing but just absolutely rake. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to call it Giants are signing him. Okay. I mean, do the Giants get anyone? Uh, that, that, that's an interesting question. Going down the list here, we have DJ LeMahieu. Uh, they have him going to the Blue Jays for four years. DJ LeMahieu's another guy who I'd have to look up when he came into the league because it feels like he's been in the league for a long time. But I feel, but I, but now I'm thinking he must be younger than I think he actually is <laughs> because he's clearly in his prime. He's clearly balling. He balled in Colorado. It seemed like he was in Colorado for a long time. So that I think that's what is throwing me off a bit too. Mm-hmm. Great years in New York. Of course, New York found a way to waste it. And now he's a, a free agent. And you got to wonder, does he go to another ALE's team in the Blue Jays? Again, these teams that are more than one piece. I mean, Blue Jays are an interesting bunch because they have, uh, you know, the young guns that you, you love, that we all love. They're exciting. I heard... Um, Vlad Jr. already lost about 30 pounds, so you can get him back to third, and then you can put DJ at first. But DJ can play first, second, and obviously 
there's a DH possibility. So it could make sense. I, do, does that take that him them over any tops? Maybe gets them to the second round. You know, I, they need more. They need more. They're an extremely young team. I, I really hope the Blue Jays, though, do make a play for spring. One of the one of those the big names. I really hope they do because, like you said, that's what's going to take them. They're probably at level, what, if there's three levels of the playoffs where you get there, mm-hmm. you make maybe a championship series, but a division series for sure, and then you're a World Series contender. So you right. figured you set it into three tiers. The Blue Jays are in that first tier. How you get to that second tier is you add, you know, a, a veteran star in the locker room that can yeah. that can bring those young guys and accelerate their development. And then the way you get that third level is just finding, getting almost lucky, or you could try and make another play for another big free agent. And the other thing is, you know, not to get too, too, too far out of what we're talking about here, but the other thing is it's interesting when you talk about these teams that know that they need something else like the blue Jays and uh, even the Marlins teams like that. Then you wonder about the teams that did get really close. And is the question, we just need to play better, right? I wouldn't even count the Rays because the Rays surprised everyone, but let's say the Braves, the Braves are basically saying we had a chance to beat the Dodgers. We didn't. Do we need someone or did we just need to play better in that situation? But again, you're going up against the Dodgers who you were not favorited against. So you kind of always need to get something else when talking about going against the Dodgers. But it's interesting. It's like, do we have to bring in another big guy just to compete with the Dodgers? Because if not for the crazy lineup that the Dodgers have, the Braves could feel very good about the situation. And I don't know how good they feel. Well, they got to bring back, try and bring back Ozuna. They right. can't, they can't lose someone can't like lose, as, you, you, you talk about adding, you definitely can't lose anything. Right. You cannot rely on, and you, well, you can rely on Ronald Acuna Jr. to be God. But you need more than that to beat this Dodgers team. You really do. And if you're gonna, if you're talking about losing a player, yeah, they got no shot. They got no chance if they lose a guy like Ozuna. And now they're in a tough spot because they have to sign Ozuna. You're gonna sign someone else too. I don't know. Well, their line of thinking also might be, well, we're gonna have stronger pitching next year because Soroka is supposed to come back. You know, another Mm -hmm. year of Anderson. But so much of pitching, it's almost like the fucking NFL. Where it's just from year to year to year, game to game, you don't know how pitching is going to hold up over a season from year to year. Right. You don't know what injuries you're going to have the next year. So you can't like have that line of thinking when it comes to that because injuries are so prevalent to pitchers. So let's do one more. Let's do one more uh, so we can get to dead ball and all that good stuff. And who, the person I want to talk about next is actually no longer a free agent and that person is Marcus Stroman so you are the pitching guy and we've talked about Marcus Stroman a little bit on this show we talk about the Trevor Bowers of the world the Marcus Stroman's of the world but I don't know if we've ever gotten to the nitty-gritty and I'm kind of curious as to what your take is on Marcus Stroman because you ever go on MLB Twitter people hate Marcus Stroman and I don't want to guess why I don't want to you know make any accusations but he's got the swagger 
He hangs out with his buddy, Mike Stud, who's a rapper who now just goes by Mike. You know, he, he sometimes he raps on the songs. He, his swagger is actually so interesting because he does a lot on the mound uh, and Trevor Bauer does as well. I've, and I guess he, I, I guess they're pretty dope similar because he tweets a lot too. So I'm wondering, but I guess the question would be, or the, the, the question and answer would be, does Trevor Bauer get more of a pass because he's better, right? Like Marcus Stroman is not an ace as of right now. Is that why people like you, you would see in the mentions, all these, all these people tweeting, and I don't know who they're fans of, but they're like, this guy better take that qualifying offer. He's just a glorified number three, da, 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 da. And it's like, I don't know who your team is, but, but unless it's one of three teams with an outstanding rotation, you'd probably take Marcus Stroman in a heartbeat. So it's not coming from a baseball standpoint. People just don't like this guy. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do, which is wild because it's more of just the old, you know, the old school baseball guy on on Twitter that probably is mad a lot of the time at a lot of things. And he's just paranoid about the country and, and all this weird stuff. So right. that's really how who I picture dislike Stroman. I don't know, for, though, because those guys, those guys are not on Twitter. Right. That's true. That's true. But I think it is because his greatest career accomplishment in, in on the field has been in the world baseball. Class. I knew you were going to say that. that that's that's really that. it has not. He has not had consistent regular season success. And I think I've said it before. I think he will. I think this is he was very smart to sign with the Mets mm-hmm. where he can kind of fit in with and learn from from superstars and be with other superstars in that rotation. Um, I think that's going to help his development. And he's he's nasty. He's he's someone that's it's so hard to command that type of stuff. Like people don't realize how difficult it is to command a ball that's moving all the way across the fucking plate. Like it's it's going to it takes time for those guys to develop. So I think he's going to be great on the field, off the field. I can see kind of why, because he's. He's very brandy. He reminds me a lot of like Juju Smith Schuster kind of off the field. Yeah. He's, but in yeah. my mind, like, yeah, it can be annoying to some people, but when you take a step back in the grand scheme of things, you're like, all right, what the fuck are we attacking him for here? Because the guy l- likes to film himself hanging out with Mike Studd. Right. Like, I could right. give two shits he has a, about that. He has a brand. He has a brand based on the fact that he is an underdog, like being five, eight, five, nine. And, being a, let's, being a starting let's pitcher. Pump the, let's pump the Jets on the underdog thing, though, because Just the, he, what do you mean? First round pick. Okay, That's but what I'm there's saying. still doubt. I hear you, but the idea is that it's a gamble because these smaller guys, Tim Lindsay comes up the world like that. Velo isn't going to hang around, so it's kind of like we have to draft you based on what you can do, but we where we realize it's a gamble. It's kind of like you can't not draft him, especially for baseball. Like in basketball, he could have actually dropped because there's only two rounds. But in baseball, it's like, sure, well, you know, we 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 bust on so many others anyway. So what's one more? So I don't know. He's an athletic freak, though. Him like the fact that that's a line of thinking in baseball where you can't separate like who is just an athletic absolute specimen whereas who's this other five nine guy that like the fact that we can't juggle 
um, who is, I guess, uh, how do we separate like, oh yeah, this five, five, nine guy from, from the other, like he exactly. should be in the class of the guys that are six, four, just because of how gifted he is yeah. with his arm and his mm-hmm. whole body. Exactly. And the, but the thing is, you don't see it that often though. That that's why like the Mookies of the world, not necessarily Mookie, but we've had Dustin Pedroia. We have Altuve. We have guys like that, but pitching, I think Lincecum, Lincecum was like a solid 5'10", like a full 5'10". At least that's what, that was the claim. And the same thing gets said about him. And how tall is Trevor Bauer? He's taller, he's right? Big. He's like a six-two. He's kind of beefy now. Okay, he had like in a... college. He had the Lincecum swag, but he was bigger, right. like the way he was like herky jerky. But he's bigger than Lincecum. Yeah, he is. He did have like that. I think that's what he was going for in college. Now he's very, he's way more compact with his arm action. Mm-hmm. If you look yeah. at kind of how he was in college, how he is now, it's a lot shorter arm action. It's the driveline thing where you throw like an infielder because that's mm-hmm. like the natural throwing motion um stroman has very similar mechanics to that where he's just kind of he short arms it but it's not like he has a short he has short arms though right but it's throwing like a shortstop (laughs) very that's very true so he has to short arm it take it from me he can't ever long t-rex arm guy yeah he can't ever long arm it so but yeah i think that's the whole reason is just like off the field he's just kind of a lot He's kind of a lot. People don't like that, especially when you have those. Right. Uh, Height doesn't measure heart. You know, everyone doubted me, all that stuff. You went, and I get, and I don't get me wrong. I do get your side of it. You went to Duke, bro. Like Duke isn't a full powerhouse, but all the, that's because I feel like it's because they can't put it together. It's not for a lack of talent. You just, you know, and they have been decent lately, but you always have guys. There's no scrubs that signed to Duke. Okay. And it's weird because Duke always literally just has weirdos. It's JJ Reddick is the most normal Duke big time. No, who would have guessed? I guess like professional. Exactly. And like Leitner's a weirdo. Kyrie, we know Kyrie's antic. I'm not saying Strowman's like this recluse, like outcast, but he's a little bit of a different guy. Well, when. And I, I might have shared this on the show a while back, but I, a guy that I played at Temple with played in the same l- league of uh, league with Marcus Stroman in high school. So they, in New York area, so they do the awards for player of the year. And of course, Marcus Stroman wins. Marcus Stroman is not even there to accept the award. His yoked father walks up there with a, literally a note saying Marcus can't be here tonight, but he wrote this just in case he won and starts reading off like his thank yous. And my buddy was just like, dude, this is the most ridiculous thing anybody had ever seen. So I get it. I could only imagine, but here's the thing. People don't people, the people that are hating on them, they don't even have that inside information. They're seeing exactly if they maybe they're hate following him on Twitter or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I just think it's a little, it's a, it's a little unfair, but at the same time, maybe we'll see uh, with uh, like Chandler said, the Bregman thing and Bregman was never as out there as Marcus Stroman, but maybe we'll see a little bit of maturation from Marcus Stroman. And that's also probably going to come with the Mets being better. 
Like if you're on a competitive team, there's no time for messing around and stuff. I think they went to the playoffs when he was with the Blue Jays once or twice, but didn't make any, didn't make a lot of noise. So that'll be interesting to see. Does he tone it down if they're really in the NL East race and they really have a shot to be a legitimate contender? I agree. I definitely agree. But I, I just, the main, the main conclusion out of this is just a little misunderstood. Yeah. A little misunderstood. And, yeah. and I know he, he, he kind of got shit because he brought up, you know, race and stuff with, with playing for, for Tony La Russa. Oh, and that was now, recent too. Yeah. Right. And, and nowadays when, when someone brings up race and I realize like not everything is about it, like obviously, but when someone brings it up, I'm going to listen. I'm not just going to disregard and, and just irrationally respond mm-hmm. um, like I may have if I would have been, you know, yeah. younger and, le- and less mature. So now when someone says that, I'm not going to clap back at them, whether I agree or disagree with them, but I- I'm just going to take a step back and, and I'm not going to judge. I'll just listen. Yeah. So, and that's the thing, the, the Tony La Russa thing, whether it's the racial part of it or the DUI, it's a mess. It's all a mess. And this article, I believe, oh, well, it, this article was November 3rd. So that's before this all came out. So who knows what that does to people wanting to go to the White Sox. Uh, uh, from what I've heard, Tony La Russa and Tim Anderson have not spoke. He has not reached it. Neither side has reached out. I don't know why Tim Anderson would have to reach out when he's already on the team. That's not a good look at all. You know, especially if you're trying to change um, change what people think about you. But at the same time, uh, I heard something or I read something that said, look, let's not forget, Tony La Russa managed Ricky Henderson. And Ricky Henderson was way before all everybody. And if he could manage Ricky Henderson, whether he liked it or not, I think at the end of the day, it's if you're producing – and Dave Stewart as well. Do. And Dave, you know, Stewart. Dave, Dave Stewart's thrown his endorsement behind him. Yeah, the whole thing is just a mess. It's just classic White Sox. You know, you take three steps forward and you just take some steps back. A bunch. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's classic White Sox. Anything else before we uh, we get into dead ball? Dead ball it up. All right. So this one, everyone knows this story. This is the Doc Ellis um lsd no hitter story um Mm -hmm. it's probably the most well-known dead ball story i think of all time um but it it does it it always brings up great discussion it always brings up great stories maybe of a time you might have been intoxicated and playing um and and how you did during that time so it always bring it always it brings out the best in, in podcasting, I would yes. say. Um, so this was on June 12th, 1970 for, for our loyal listeners out there um, in the USA and beyond talking to you, New Zealand. And I think one Belgian um, doc was the starting pitcher for the uh, Pittsburgh pirates on June 12th, 1970. He threw a no hitter under the influence of LSD. Now, I have never taken LSD um, in my entire life. I don't know the effects. Um, I, I know I'm kind of aware that it, it is a hallucinogen. Am I, mm-hmm. am I wrong there? Yeah. Um, so he visited, the, this is how Wikipedia says the story goes. 
Ellis visited a friend in Los Angeles and used LSD two or three times. So he had two LSDs, two to three LSDs. Yes. I don't know how you two servings, two servings, two servings, <laughs> two servings of an LSD. Uh, he, he went up to the waiter. He's like, I will take two LSDs, please. Thank you. Um, so he thinking it was still Thursday. He took a hit of LSD on Friday at noon. And his friend's girlfriend reminded him at 2 p.m. that he was scheduled to pitch that night. First of all, what you go to nowadays, these guys are like playing video games in right. the hotel room. They're like yeah. playing Xbox. Meanwhile, Doc Ellis, like back in the day, they're just how can we get some our hands on some narcotics? Here? Yeah, that's my day off. Where Who's got the narcotics guy <laughs> in our in our road cities? So he flew from L.A. to San Diego at 3 p.m., arrived at 4.30 for a 6 o'clock start. He could not feel the ball or see the batter or catcher clearly. He also said that his catcher wore reflective tape, which helped him see the signals. Ellis walked eight batters in this game, um, and they apparently they had some good defense. I had a feeling of euphoria. It was basically like he was just rolling tits, essentially, at, yeah. while he's throwing a no-hitter. What are your thoughts? Like, are it, From a hitter's perspective, if you're at the plate, do you think you'd be able to tell if a guy was on some sort of drugs? Well, obviously, nobody could tell because, if anything, you would think he's on steroids or something if he's balling like this. I'm, I'm curious about the validity of this story. You know, it just doesn't make very much sense. You can't feel the ball. You know what it reminds me of? There was a show that used to come on on Food Network. It was called Cutthroat Kitchen. And basically, it was three people, three or four chefs. The winner, uh, the winner gets to, the winner wins whatever money they have left. But each round, they have to pay for certain things and they can give the other contestants stuff. So certain times, a contestant would get like a easy bake oven or something and still come up with something amazing. And it just made me think, are they really cooking with that? Because I have no proof and I just can't believe maybe he's not lying, but the effects were that crazy. How are you not able to, or it's the most same with cutthroat kitchen or it's, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. How are you able to, to pitch the way you normally would are even better when you can't feel the ball and you're tripping like that. I don't know. It's, it stinks to me. This stinks to me. This, this is his account is pretty wild. I mean, the ball was small. Sometimes the ball was large. Sometimes I couldn't see. Uh, I tried to stare the hitter down. I chewed my gum until it turned to powder. Uh, they said that he had about three to four fielding chances and he dove out of the way of a ball, which that is, I mean, I wish we had footage. Give me that, that video. Yeah. Give me that I, video. I would love to see that type of video. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just kind of wondering what, what was his velo like? Like, was it up? Was it down? Like, how was, I mean, clearly his, his location, he was effectively wild <laughs> on LSD because right. he walked six guys, but ended up throwing a no, no. So there's just, I know you said it stinks, but when you're talking about these old baseball players that, I mean, these guys were just fucking wild cards. Yeah, look, look, I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not true. You know, it, it was just a different time back then. Apparently, it was just a different time. It really was. Have you? What's the closest you've been? Because you've probably 
gone out the night before and been like hammered the next morning yeah yeah like a little bit a of a job or something yeah the the residuals i had a ball pop out of my glove the night after uh, a night mm-hmm. of drink it was a scrimmage against you pen and it was actually like the first scrimmage with the new coach so it wasn't a great it was actually a terrible look for for the start but i got it back i i got back in there okay but yeah it was like you go out the night before and you're not drunk but you're just like, oh, I, I'm definitely not 100% here, you know, for the scrimmage, scrimmage, right. of course. Uh, so that's the closest I, I've been. And we're not, uh, we're, uh, we're not counting summer ball, right? Uh, I mean, you could count summer ball. Oh, well, summer ball then. Uh, yeah, summer ball is a different beast then. So were, were you like playing drunk or were you just like playing hungover all the time? Yes, the latter. Both? The latter. Okay, more, the latter. more hungover. More the the layover. Wait, when people, what does it say? The uh, the overlap was much closer in summer ball than it was in, during during any well during any fall game, and obviously nothing in the spring. But yeah, definitely the overlap was pretty close there in the summer. I'll I'll, I'll put it to you like that. It's pretty, yeah. It's pretty miserable, honestly. When that that day after, when you are still like legitimately shit faced. <laughs> and you have to go to a practice and I'm, I mean, even I, I would go, I would pitch, you know, on Fridays and our scrimmages, you know, sat, one of those days on the weekend, you could bet that I was pretty sauced like right. in the morning at practice. And it was just like, I would just be sitting there. I'm sweating. Like I'm trying to be like, Hey, had a baby, like way to go. Like trying to throw in my two cents, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm fighting it. I'm, I'm really fighting it. So I can't imagine the LSD. I can tell you this. There was one time in the minor leagues where we had a day game and then we ripped a Maya pool party. For those of you who don't know, Scottsdale Maya day club is like the pool party. So we ripped a Maya pool party after one of our games. And the next day, all that we had a night game, but we really, really got after it that night. And our first baseman, who was no longer, he's no longer with the Mariners, but there was just a pop up in the first inning. And he was still like, he was, I'm, pr- this guy's no longer with the Mariners, and I'm not going to say his name, but I can actually confirm to you, he had a beer that morning to like <laughs> kind of shampoo himself. Yeah, get yeah. back on the horse. He missed a pop up, just straight up whiffed on a pop up in the first inning. So he could probably identify more with the Doc Ellis. Yes. Um, but I pitched baked one time and that was, I, I, I would never do it again, but it was in summer ball. I actually went one, two, three, but after I didn't want to talk, I like had to go talk with my coach after. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I just immediately put my sunglasses on. Right. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Uh, well, shout out doc. Shout out doc Ellis. Um, tune in next week for dead ball, for interview, for fun for Mm -hmm. just good vibes good vibes in general good vibes in general you could uh follow us on twitter at longball underscore pod at orazo at the underscore styles files styles with an i let's get right into our interview with chandler rome of the houston chronicle all right we now welcome on a very special guest a very special moment for myself and alan as well because this is our first journalist that we've welcomed on as a guest. He's got one of the GOAT 
Southern journalist names that I've ever come across. Uh, graduate of LSU, covered their baseball team, covered Alabama football. Uh, now he is now the Houston Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle. That is Chandler Rome. Chandler, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. How you doing today? What an intro. I don't, I don't think I can beat that intro. That was great. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, that really means a lot because I do take a lot of pride in it. Um, it's one of the few things that I prepare for. There you uh, go. For this show. So failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Um, mm -hmm. you've, had a, you've had a brief journalism career. Um, you are a veteran in the game, but you've done a lot. We'll, we'll try and cover everything, but we do have to, um, you know, address what you do now because you started covering the Astros at just a, a wild time. You know, they had, it was the year after they had won the world series. Um, and then you go through a, a full season before, you know, the whole cheating scandal breaks. I have to ask you because I've always just wanted to know from, from someone on that side or from even an Astros fan, just take us through that whole vibe around the organization from, from within it. Uh, you know, what was it like? Was it like, you know, were, were they saying, Hey, you know, here for a good time, not a long time. Were they just like, Oh, surprised we got caught. What was it like around the organization? So it was really, it was interesting because the clubhouse I walked into in 2018, that team was probably better than the 2017 team. And the 2019 team was probably better than both of them. So you could really say that, that I probably covered two teams that were better than the one that won the world series. And for those two years, um, before the scandal started, before the story came out, um, watching them go about their business every day, you sort of, they knew how good they were and they made no mistake about it. You know, the, they watching, especially 2018, I think a lot of Astros fans have become very um, spoiled because in 2018, they ran a rotation out there of Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Dallas Keuchel, Charlie Morton, and Lance McCullers Jr. Those are five all-stars in a rotation. And they didn't miss a start until August. They, they did not pitch out of turn. They did not have to have somebody throw a bullpen game. Or they, all five of them posted every day until August. And watching that being like my first year covering a big league beat, that was unbelievable. I mean, five guys just at the absolute top of their game. And then, you know, to see them bring Michael Brantley in for 2019, to bring Jordan Alvarez up, in 2019, that was probably the best offense that this team's ever had, um, bringing those two guys in and just seeing how good they were. It was like a machine. And they, with, what they did was so unbelievably good and how they went about their business. They were just so laser focused. And I know that sounds so cliche and so trite, but really like the goal was to win. The goal was to win a World Series. The goal was to win at any cost. And I think that has now man, we've now seen kind of the downside of that winning at any cost, being so laser focused and being so results based that um, nothing else mattered. And I think we've seen that, you know, in some of the moves they made, um, they, they acquired Roberto Osuna in 2018, which, um, you know, on the field, Roberto Osuna was fine. Um, you know, wasn't an elite closer, wasn't a bad closer, was a good, was a good big league closer. Was that worth all the ridicule and all the scorn that they took after they acquired him? Um, you know, they, a lot of the things that they did, 
Um, that trade probably being at the top of the list kind of really, um, really put out there kind of what this team was about. Um, they didn't, at least in my view, um, it was difficult for me to see how they um, looked at culture and how they looked at the importance of clubhouse culture. Because putting Roberto Osuna into a clubhouse with two very marquee players and Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers, who have been very outspoken about domestic abuse. Um, I, I, don't, I just don't know how that, that those two things coexisted, but, you know, to be, but I, I think to give them a little bit of credit, you know, you can't argue with how they've done. You can't argue with the numbers and the results and the success. So I guess, you know, the, the conflicting thought with the Astros is process over result. I mean, do, do you, do you denigrate the process if the result is good? And I think we've seen now that, you know, parts of the process that led to the Astros being good were really flawed. And even though they didn't come out and show themselves immediately, they all came out in one fail swoop. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, and it's been written about, I've written about this a lot, you know, the moment Jose Altuve hit that walk-off home runoff of Raldis Chapman in game, in game six of the 2019 ALCS, Literally everything went downhill after that in the clubhouse afterward is when Brandon Taubman um, went on his tirade against female reporters in, in that post-game that celebration. Wild. Yeah. What a and, wild move that was an hour later. And then, you know, they don't win a home game in the world series. They lose to a nationals team. That's very, very good. The nationals were stacked, but the ashes were a better club. And then two months later, the athletic drops the sign stealing story. So, it's really been, you know, I, I kind of divide my time covering the Astros into two, into two times. It's like before the Altuve home run and then after the Altuve home run because it has been literally everything has gone downhill for this team after Altuve hit that home run. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, everything really that you said right there and – how things seem to progress or regress depending on who you're talking to. I guess my, one of my first questions is you have people around the league, um, whether you used to play baseball or coach and most people do feel like what they were doing is wrong, was wrong. There is a group of people out there though, that feel that what they did wasn't too far off from what other clubs do, right? When you think about, hey, if you see them throw a sign and people are saying it's just a most uh, a better version of that and people are saying they're just mad or a team's just mad because they didn't think of it first, whatever the case may be. When you look at how these players reacted to the news and Carlos Correa, we'll definitely get into him later with how he's taken on this villain role. Do you think there are people in the dugout that don't, feel that they did anything wrong i feel like you're reading my twitter mentions now because that's you just encapsulated like every astros fan you know okay. every time you write about the sign stealing or every time anybody brings it up it's always well what about this team what about the red Sox? what about the mm -hmm. yankees what about the dodgers what about insert team here um look i think it it would be wrong to sit here and say that the astros were the only team doing this they were the only team banging trash cans. They were the only team um, that went, look, there is a pretty fine line here. 
And I think we all understand as being in the game where you can't cross the line. The Astros didn't just cross the line. They ran over it and then took a lap and then ran over it again. You just can't do what they did. And then gloated. Right. Right. You, you just you just can't do what they did. And I think, um, was there a little bit of um, a thought that, you know, we from the league and from Commissioner Rob Manfred that, you know, we need to crack down, we need to make an example of them? I bet there was. You know, that, that's not me reporting anything. That's just kind of me. We're just kind of BSing here. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count that out. Um, I, I do think it, it's not it's not any secret that baseball did not do a good job of policing this because this, they were, there were teams running rampant doing this mm-hmm. there. I mean, we've seen the Red Sox, they, they were under investigation that, that they did something. The Red Sox and the Yankees in 2017 were both implicated in, in doing things. Um, the Astros before the athletic story came out, you know, the Astros were conducting surveillance. They were sending play. They were sending people from their front office into other parts of ballparks to make sure that other teams weren't um, doing anything illegal with cameras or transmitting signs. The paranoia was so rampant. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, how we got to this point. You know, the Astros, um, you know, one of the most common questions that I get asked or the Astros players get asked is why, like, why did you do this? Like this team was talented enough to win the 2017 world series without cheating without stealing signs. I mean, that, that's a great lineup. Um, they, they, they were a good club. They, they had a very good chance to win no matter if they cheated or not. And, and no one can give you a straight answer. No one wants to say um, something just outright, but I do believe, and I do think in their heart of hearts that they did have the thought that everybody's doing, that everybody is trying to get an advantage. Everyone is trying to do something and we've just got to keep up with the Joneses. Well, Right. You come to find out that the Astros were the Joneses that, mm. you know, they took it to a level that you just can't take it to. And they were, they were punished and um, you know, they're going to be feeling the after effects of that for a while. Now, is it fair to label them as like the poster child for sign stealing? Uh, I guess that's up to the beholder. Um, they're the ones that are always going to be associated with it, but to claim that they're the only team that participated in electronic sign stealing, that's just not true because other mm. teams did it too. It yeah. doesn't make right. it right. Right. No, it's been going on. I mean, I've heard stories of, of A-Rod, like of team, A-Rod's told stories about teams like shining a laser uh, back in, you know, the late 90s. So that has been going on. And, and you brought that up that this team is so ridiculously talented. Like, I've been in the camp that George Springer is a Hall of Famer. I, I've said that he's going to be. I love Springer. Um, Correa is amazing. Bregman, obviously. I mean, the list goes on. Do you think history is and and the the pundits or or fans are going to, I guess, remember this this run that the Astros have had? And we don't. We can look ahead to next year. Um, you know, later on in this interview. But do you think that they're going to remember this team for? this scandal do you think it's going to go away how do you think is it going to all depend on what happens in the future do you think they're just going to be forever labeled with this because like you said yes what they they deserve to be punished but man these guys are so damn talented that they should be recognized for how many superstars they have or they had on the on their team and i think another way to hop in orlando to ask this question would be like the feeling that a lot of people had 
of I really want this team to lose, like because of what happened, when do we think that'll go away? Right. Is, is it after <laughs> three years? Now you can win. You know, or now we don't we don't hate them. Like this was the and I, we talked about this. Yankees had an opportunity to finally be the not hated team in a series and they couldn't do it because they couldn't beat the Rays. But yeah, kind of to rephrase your question, Orlando, like how fans think it's like, I wonder when the baseball world would be like, all right, it is what like it the is. steroid era, like the steroid right, era where right. you're just like, ah, you know what? Fuck it. Like all these guys. The part of me even feels like but, even next year, I feel like a lot of people even next year might be like, I- I'm kind of over it. There will be players that will never be able to get this off of their, um, off of their resumes, off of their careers, even no matter what they do going forward. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I look back to the Astros wild card series this year. They played the Minnesota Twins. Marwin Gonzalez plays for the Minnesota Twins. He was one of the worst hitters in baseball this year. He has had, I think, six or 700 OPS seasons in almost every year of his career. Aside from 2017, when he was with the Houston Astros, he had the best season of his career. He had an eight, something like an 840 OPS, was one of the team's best hitters, hit 300. And off of that season, got a pretty nice free agent deal with the Minnesota Twins. And you look back now, and there's been a, uh, there's an Astros fan named Tony Adam has tracked every trash can bang and how many players used the system. And Marvin Gonzalez was one of the biggest offenders. And you know, I, I was at the ballpark. I was at Target Field, so I didn't get to watch the ESPN broadcast. But from what I understand, there was a lot of talk about the Astros and what they did and comparing their numbers to 2017. But Marvin Gonzalez's face was never up there. Um, when I was in when I was in spring training, um, you know, w- when we went to Port St. Lucie, when the Astros played the Mets, huge crowd and the Astros got booed every batter. This guy could have been in low A when the Astros in, yeah. in 2017 and this guy got and guys or the Michael booed. Brantley's of the world who's like, I wasn't Michael, even here. Michael Brantley gets booed. Uh, George Springer flew out to J.D. Davis in that game. George Springer got booed. J.D. Davis, who was on that team in 2017, the Astros, he didn't get booed. So I think that's going to be the problem that this that a lot of these guys face. You know, guys like Springer, Altuve, Correa, Bregman, you know, the faces of that team. It's going to be very difficult for them to erase, you know, the stench and them to kind of convince people that this should not be their lasting legacy. And the way you convince people that it's not your lasting legacy is you prove you can do it without cheating. And Jose Altuve has proven that. I mean, he was a fantastic hitter before the trash cans. And then if you listen to anyone that will talk in the Astros clubhouse, he didn't like the trash cans. He didn't use them. He didn't want to use them and he didn't use them. And I think the banging data uh, bears that out. Um, But he's always going to be the guy because of, you know, the, the unfounded stuff with the buzzers and just he is one of the faces of the franchise. Same thing with Correa, same thing with Bregman, same thing with Springer. Now, how they treat guys that were on the team, like I will be fascinated to see. um, I'm assuming George Springer is not coming back to Houston. Um, When he signs elsewhere, I will be very interested to see how he's treated the next two or three years. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he is, I mean, he was the World Series MVP in 2017. He was, he was the, I mean, Altuve won the whole MVP that year, but I mean, he was one of the team's best players. 
Like, is he going to get booed everywhere he goes when, when fans show up to stands or are we going to, or are fans just, I mean, to put it plainly, are fans going to boo laundry? Like is, yeah. is Kyle Tucker going to get booed every time he comes up? Kyle Tucker was in low a when, or high a somewhere like that in 2017, Kyle mm-hmm. Tucker is going to be this team's, the Astros outfield for the next five or six years. I mean, the Astros started Fromber Valdez and Christian Javier and you know, Zach awesome. Grinky. Zach Grinky wasn't even um, here in 20. I mean, are they going to boo these guys? Like, I think it'll be very interesting to see how it goes forward. And it's kind of impossible to project, but I do think, um, you know, the one, the only thing that can, you know, take the stench away or take the, you know, the, the tainted nature of these guys' careers away that like, they're going to have to just keep posting, keep putting up good numbers and um, it'll all, they'll, always be associated with them no matter what they do jose altuve could win nine more mvps could go down as the greatest player of all time and this would still be associated with them but the only thing that they can do to get away from this is to just keep playing and keep putting up good numbers and and you know a lot of these guys have proven they can do it without cheating they're just gonna have to keep proving it if springer comes to the giants i will welcome i will never boo him i will welcome him with open arms i would i know but if he does, right. I will gladly welcome all is forgiven, essentially, um, if Springer ends up with the Giants. But let's go, like you said, you know, the only way to prove it, and they almost did that this year. Like, that was kind of a sick run. Like, you are just not, you're not a baseball person if you didn't think it was kind of cool what they were doing in the postseason this year, almost coming back they really handed it to the A's. Like I, I know the A's made it a little bit competitive, but they, they handed it to them. They handed it to the twins. Um, what was the vibe like this year? It was almost pretty obvious that they were playing kind of this role of, you know what, fuck it. Like we can do it without cheating. We can do it without anything. Correa obviously took that mantle, but being around the team this year, being close to the team, was it that same laser focus that you talked about, was it just back to business? I wish I could tell you, cause I wasn't that close to the team. Mm-hmm. Obviously we weren't allowed. Right. In the club, we weren't allowed in the clubhouses this year. Um, I watched the games a lot like you guys did. I was at the ballpark, but like, I still like the access I got to these guys was not what I usually get. And to be honest with you, no, the regular season they played. I mean, you've been cursed on here. So I'll curse. They played like, they played like dog shit the entire regular season. I mean, yeah. they went 29 and 31. Um, they seemed quite frankly, pretty disinterested um, for most of the year. Um, they, they did not hit at all. Um, a lot of time, I mean, ball players, they all, all of them said, you know, the, the lead up, the, the short and ramp up in the 60 game season and the sample sizes, you know, everybody wanted to blame that, but I mean, these guys were too good at hitters to be hitting as poorly as they were. And then obviously they dealt with a lot of injuries. Justin Verlander blew out. Roberto Osuna right. blew out. Um, Jordan Alvarez had to have knee surgeries. So, I mean, there was a lot of injuries that, that contributed to it. But, I mean, for 60 games, they just didn't look like they cared. I mean, Dusty Baker was asked about their effort after a game in September. And, I mean, if you would ever have asked about the Astros' effort during this run, I mean, that, I can count on – I don't think that had ever been done. No one had ever asked about their effort. And, you know, we couldn't put our finger on what it was. And, I mean, the easy go-to fallback is that, oh, it's the scandal and they're tired of, you know, reading social media and they're tired of, you know, getting hated on and all that. And it's like, well, 
there were no fans in the stands. And if these guys are smart, they're not reading any of their social media and they haven't been since February. So, I mean, I don't know what to attribute it to, but they did keep saying, you know, just let us get in the playoffs. And once we get in the playoffs, we know what to do. And it's pretty obvious that they did know what to do because for that playoff run, like that was the team that, that everyone expected. I mean, obviously Verlander wasn't there, but with the exception of that, like, I mean, they played like, they played like everyone expected them to. I mean, that was, that was what the 2020 Astros should have been was in the playoffs. And instead we got, I mean, for the 60 game regular season, it was, it was excruciating to watch that team at times. I mean, they had a road trip where they went two and nine. Um, They lost, they lost games in every conceivable way you could lose games. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty awful to watch, to be honest with you. And and if not for Rob Manford expanding the playoffs, they're not even in Mm because the A's ran away with the division and they weren't even close to being one of the other two wildcard teams. So, um, you know, they don't get in if not for a late night expansion before opening day. And then obviously when they got in again, that was kind of the team that everybody expected them to be, but it just came 60 games too late. Right. And, and I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I just had a quick follow-up and Al, you can jump in after, but did people in the organization, people close to the organization know how good uh Framer Valdez was going to be because watching him just go fastball inside backdoor curveball to every hitter and just dominate throughout the postseason. That was as, as the pitching guy, you know, that was, that was really fun to watch. Did people know that he was that good? So Framber has, he's been around for a while. He, he, he pitched in 2018, 2019 through about, through about a hundred big league innings. And I've got his baseball reference up right here. He walked six guys per nine innings in his first hundred big league innings. He had no command, no control. And the two things about him that you could always tell you know, he would lose his composure a lot. He would let innings kind of bubble up on him. He was never able to kind of move on to go to the next pitch. Kind of all those cliche things you hear a young pitcher get told is, you know, you can't let one run beat you. You can't let two runs beat you. You got to keep it here. He could never do that. Um, but the one thing that, that pitching coach Brent Strom kept saying, he kept going back to a start he made in 2018 against the Angels. And after that start, Mike Trout said, that's the best curveball I've ever seen. And Brent Strom just kept, whenever we would ask, like, why is Framber still here? Why is he still in the rotation? Why do you guys still keep giving him big league innings? The hammer. And it was, it was, Stromy would always say, you know, I, I, I don't take that lightly. Mike Trout said, this guy has the best curveball he's ever seen. Like, I can make this work. And they made it work. He, and I do give Framber credit. Framber said this, he's, he's a Dominican um, this summer or this offseason. Um, he found a, sports psychologist in the Dominican that, that helped him um, kind of clear his mind a little bit, helped him focus a little bit more. Um, this guy, he was very immature in 2018, 2019. There's a great spring training clubhouse story that I don't think I can share here, but just, he was, he was, very, he was, uh, he was an immature guy um, his first couple of years. And um, that was noticed by some of the veteran guys. And, and there's a language barrier there, so it can be a little bit difficult, but the Astros are a very bilingual club. So, he had a lot of stuff to kind of figure out. And I think it's a lot of just maturity. Um, It's kind of the coming of age of a ball player. And if you watch Framber now, he always steps off. He, he, he takes so long to pitch because when things are going bad, he steps off, he takes his hat off, he recenters himself. Then he gets back on the mat. You you can tell he's very much more deliberate. He's very much more focused and, and that helped him a lot. He's always had the stuff. The stuff has always been there. I mean, the curveball, we just talked about, I mean, when, even when he was walking six guys per nine innings, 
opposing hitters saw how good it was. They just had to get his fastball command back and they had to, you know, he can't just throw, he can't just bury that curveball either. You know, he goes back door with it. He can throw it for a strike. He can throw it kind of wherever in the zone he wants to. He says he has three or four different variations of where he locates it and how he throws it. So, I mean, that helps too. The fact that he's kind of knowing when to use the bear, when to use kind of the chase curveball, when to use the get a called strike curveball. Um, it's all in the evolution of him. And he's a guy, I mean, you know, they could have won the World Series this year and that had been fine and good, but he was far and away the biggest story of this year for them because, I mean, he's so young. He's going to be in the rotation for the next five years and he's cost controlled. Um, you know, he was, this was what they have been waiting for for him forever. And it finally clicked. The Astros usually do that. They usually maximize whatever right. talent they, <laughs> they're they dealt with. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about another player, though, that we alluded to, and that is Carlos Correa. But more, we can talk about the, you know, the the villain aspect of it. But I also want to talk about him as a just as a ball player, period, because he's another guy who had a monster playoff run. You know, he he went off. And the thing is, and it did make it kind of cool, and I, I even tweeted about it. It was nice to, A, not just want the Yankees to lose and B have a legitimate villain, right? Um, me and Orlando are both from the Bay area. So we're warriors guys. And even if you're not a warriors guy, LeBron is kind of the hero or the villain baseball. Hasn't really had that. Um, as of late, you just kind of always want the Yankees to lose. And that's just how it is. So I thought it was really cool because at the end of the day, if you're balling, you can talk all the trash you want. And Carlos Correa was really doing it. But when you look at him, as a player and it's interesting because things were coming out when everyone's prisoner of the moment is he a top five player of the game and I was just like relax does he have that ceiling I think he does but we're in this spot with him where he's shown flashes during the regular season he's not bad he hasn't been outstanding but because he's been on these good teams he's always in the mix and has the opportunity to make these statements and to hit these home runs. And he has, for the most part, come through. What do you see for the future of Carlos Correa? And where do you actually see him ending up? Because a ceiling can be a ceiling. There's a lot of guys with ceilings that never get close to it. We've seen him in spurts, but not really consistently. He has a ceiling to be the best player in baseball. I I mean, just as a guy that watches him every day, I mean, he's a freak. Right. Um, he really is. I mean, if not for the injuries and look, the injuries have been a very hodgepodge sort of things that he's dealt with. Some of it's been self-inflicted with the massage that broke his rib a couple of years ago. Um, the back oh, issue, yeah. the back issue is concerning because he's, you know, he's 26, but um, also, you know, uh, he was able to deal with it this year and he said that there was no pain. So uh, that's got to be, you know, that's got to be helpful, but mm-hmm. it's only 60 games. So the fact that he posted for 58 games this year was still um, was encouraging for him because that's the one thing he needs to prove. The thing he needs to prove is that he can play 150, 155 games a year. Um, that his defense is watching him play shortstop is a joy, um, especially a guy that big. I mean, he's six foot four. He's every bit of six four too. Mm-hmm. He is an imposing guy. And just the range that he has in his arm. He's got the best infield throwing arm I think I've ever seen. 
um, Dusty Baker, who's a lot older than me, said it's him and Sean Dunstan are the two um, the best infield throwing arms he's ever seen. And, and you know, Correa is just um, watching him play defense. Is, is, I don't know how J.P. Crawford won the gold glove over him this year, and I'm not saying that to be like the homer guy. It's just right. I watched Carlos Correa for 58 games, and he made every – Play, he, the plays he made just boggle the mind. Um, you know, where you do run into some questions is, you know, you look at, you look at this year. Um, he had 53 hits in the regular season. 14 were for extra bases. So um, the power sap, the sapping of power there is a little bit, you know, kind of concerning. But he's also one of the main guys that said that, A, um, the shortened ramp up, you know, didn't help. And B, um, they couldn't look at video this year. And I think right. that hurt a lot of the Astros players. And I don't mean to sound, I don't mean to be tongue in cheek with that. I, I really do think that not being able to look at video and not being, I mean, this is a, this is an organization and this is a, a group of players that have grown up in the era of, you can see everything as soon as it happens. Um, there was a story um, when we were in spring training last year, one of the Astros top pitching prospects um, was, was throwing a live BP and he finished it off and he went and sat with AJ Hinch in the, in the other dugout. And AJ asked him, um, so what, what, what do you throw when you have to get out of a jam? And the kid said, well, who's up? And the guy, and AJ told him like a righty or a lefty. And the kid, the kid just goes, well, whatever the computer says. And so a couple, a couple weeks later, they put this kid into a, uh, they put this kid into a spring training game. And he gets into a disadvantage count, hangs a breaking ball, and, and some minor leaguer hits it to the to the woods. So it goes back in the dugout, and of course goes to the iPad. See, and he goes over to AJ, and he's kind of bubbly, and he said, "Oh well, I hit my spot on the iPad, and I just can't do it." And AJ looks at him and goes, "This ain't the iPad game. This is I, I live in the real world. I don't live right. on the iPad." And that just so I say that story just to kind of bring this is where this organization and. This is where a lot of the kids in this organization and a lot of the people that have come up in this organization, this is kind of how they are. Um, you know, they need video. They need to see what they're doing to be able to, you know, either change some things or adjust. And, um, you know, that hurt. That hurt Correa. That hurt Bregman. That hurt a couple guys that, that really do rely on video, that like to go look and see what they're doing. Not to see signs, but to see, like, what mistakes they're making in their load, what mistakes they're making, you know, in their setup with the, whether their hands are in the right place, whatever. Um, so, you know, I, next year is going to be big for Correa. Um, obviously the 2021 shortstop free agent class, if you haven't looked at it, it's unbelievable. Assuming, assuming Lindor gets it. I mean, it's Lindor, Baez, Correa, Story and Seager all in that free agent class. And they're all going to have to find a way to separate themselves. Right. Um, they're going to have to, I mean, that's a loaded class and there's not going to be, I mean, we're going to feel the effects of the pandemic next off season too. There's not going to be a ton of money to go around. So I'll be interested to see this off season, even if the Astros maybe approach uh, Correa about an extension and whether he considers even taking it because he will be a young free agent. He's only 26, you know, you maybe take a three, four year extension here, play to your, you can still get, uh, you can still get to free agency at age 30 and, you know, you can bet on yourself and hope that, you know, you can put three or four seasons together where you play every day um, and where you really flash that potential. Because, I mean, this dude, when he is on, um, it's like nothing you've ever seen. I mean, he's he's got power. He can hit anywhere in the lineup. His, 
you know, he's not the fastest guy, but he can leg things out in his defense. Um, he's gotten so much better defensively. And um, the, the thing that you really saw this year, and if you watch the ALCS, you certainly saw it when Framber was on the mound in game five, his leadership, um, you know, when Framber and Yandy Diaz almost threw hands in game six, um, you know, Correa ran over there and he chewed Framber's ass out yeah. and said, you know, get back on the mound. Like this is your game to win where you put the team first. And, you know, I think I'm sure we'll talk about kind of how he morphed into the villain role, but like, I think that even shows a little bit signs of leadership as well. Being the guy that's okay going out there and, you know, taking the fall, so to speak, you know, I think a lot of people mischaracterize how Correa has responded to this scandal because he has never like made, ex- I, I don't want to say that he has never denied what the Astros did was wrong. He has come out and said, I did it. You know, I used the banging, like it was wrong. We should not have done it. Like we cheated the game. We cheated ourselves, but you know, he doesn't like when people shit on Altuve. Altuve is one of his best friends. That's why he went on MLB Network in spring training to blast Cody Bellinger because Cody Bellinger was all over Altuve. He doesn't right. like when his teammates get attacked. And whether it's fair or not to attack the teammates, Correa is going to stand up for him. And I think that is more of the evolution of a leader. And I think that more than anything maybe needs to force the Astros' hand to look at maybe um, getting him long-term because I don't know how you let a – cornerstone like that elite a guy that is morphed into that kind of guy in the clubhouse you know we talked about earlier how i didn't think the Astros valued clubhouse culture much like this guy is one that can keep it together and i wonder if the Astros would take that into account you know coming to him this offseason right that was one of my honestly questions was the guy that that stepped up in the locker room to to bring everyone together it seems like springer's more of kind of a lead by example it was almost a a face of the franchise vibe that you just got from Correa and going back to your point with that incident with Framer, by the way, what, what happened? Do they have a history together with him and Yandy? No. So, so one of the things Framber's psychologist told him to do was to smile more. And so Framber smiles on the mound a lot. That's just what he does. Just happy guy. Just, he's a happy guy. And I don't think Yandy took kindly to that. And I, I think um, I think it was a miscommunication. I think it was just one of those things where, you know, some guy smiled and some guy did. I think it was a lot of old school and new school blending together. I think there was a lot of Spanish stuff yelled at between them. Like oh, that's hilarious. the thing. We, we probably absolutely don't, hilarious. We probably don't know really what happened because everything that was yelled was in Spanish. It's not like John Boy can go get it and we can read lips because it was Maldonado, Diaz, Framber, and Correa. So I I just think it was like a miscommunication sort of thing. I think tensions were high and Framber's just smiling. So Latin American mosh pit. Yes. Essentially what it was. Um, But yeah, Correa being the face of the franchise, you had mentioned uh, that you have, I mean, you've covered Bregman since he was at LSU. You had mentioned that, you know, the Bregman family, you know, Bregman pretty well, I'm assuming. Um, he in the in the past years had has been more of a polarizing figure um you know in the media and just you know on social media all that stuff he's been more of a polarizing figure it seemed like this year he really took a step back um and and that's something that i did kind of respect out of him just kind of you know 
taken the taken the punches, but it seemed like he did take a step back this year and let Correa kind of take over that leadership role, and he stepped into more of a Springer role. Can you elaborate kind of on, on Bregman's, I guess, progression with the Strohs and I guess the future of him as well with the organization? Because yeah. he signed a contract, right? Yeah, he's, 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 he's extended. He's he and L2 L- were here long right. term. Um, okay. You know, I think Bregman, I think a, a little bit more maturity with him too. Um, I, I think, you know, even when he was being called up, I don't know if you remember the story of, of how he, or not how he got called up, but just the circumstances surrounding his call up. He was, um, I think he went on a radio show and, and said, you know, I'll be, next time you see me, I'll be at Minute Maid Park against the team in red. And the Astros were playing like the Angels that week or something, basically like forcing the team's hand to call him up. And people in the organization didn't like that. And they delayed his call up like two weeks. Um, you know, he's always kind of been a guy that, that is a little bit like that, a little cocky, a little arrogant, but he can always, he can always back it up. Um, I think he's settled down a little bit maturity wise. Uh, I think there he is. I don't think he said some stuff he regrets. I just think he's, he, he wants to paint himself in a little bit different light. He hired new representation this offseason. He hired Scott Boris to be his agent. And normally, um, you know, Scott Boris clients are not, um, the most, and I'm not, I'm not trying to paint them with a broad brush, but I, I think, I think going over to them signaled a little bit more, um, he wanted a little bit more professionalism, a little bit more, you know, show more professional stature and, you know, but that hasn't stopped him from being, um, you know, active in the community and active kind of, you know, he's got a pretty big social media presence, um, in Houston during the pandemic, he like, he invited like high school kids and like middle school kids to like send them videos of his their swings and like he broke them down for them on youtube there's like five or six ser- parts in the series you should go watch it like he really gets into these kids swings like it's not just like hey great swing like keep going buddy it's like we're talking like planes and we're talking like <laughs> hand placement and we're like he gets into it and i how mean how old are these kids i mean i mean some of them are like 10 but some of them are like 14 15 years old like, uh, so he, I mean, he does that sort of stuff. He's engaged to be married now. Um, he did a, he did a really long, he did a 24 hour Twitch stream to raise money during the pandemic. So like he's doing it in different ways. He's just maybe not as visible nationally. He's way more visible locally in Houston. He's centering a lot more of his stuff kind of in Houston. But, um, you know, I just think Correa is a guy that maybe attracts the, I think Correa enjoys, and this has been a long, long sort of thing with Houston Astros fans that quite frankly don't like this, and I don't know why, but Correa enjoys kind of the lavish lifestyle. He enjoys kind of showman. He's a showman. That's what he is. Showman, baby. And and I have known, and you mentioned, like I've known Bregman for a little while, and I'm not going to say we're best friends. I'm not going to say we're friends at all. We just, we're acquaintances. Like it's a work relationship. Bregman has never struck me as the show, not from when he was a freshman at LSU to when he is now. He's just, that's just not his personality. He's a guy that will pop off every now and then he's good for a couple one-liners in the clubhouse. He's good for, you know, throwing down a gauntlet and kind of, but he's just not a showman. That's just, that is much more Correa's game. And that is much more Correa's personality. And I think that sh- that is shining through a lot more and it will continue to shine through a lot because I think Bregman's matured since he's been called up. And I think Correa is going to, as long as Correa is playing well and as long as, you know, 
he's doing what he needs to do. He's going to always let his personality shine out. And I think that that's the two different personalities you get there. That's um, that's really interesting that, that you say that, that he's not particularly a showman because the past few years would not have shown that, but then you hear him and you know, better than me, you hear stories of him at LSU just hitting at like 3 AM and it's not like you're hammered at a party and you just go to the cages and get some hacks in with the guys. Um, it's like, no, he's grinding, you know, at, at all hours of the night. So yeah, you do hear, it's interesting, you know, what, what kind of the narrative can be and then what the real, what the real story is. Um, I do have kind of a, a sillier question. Al, do you have any more serious questions about the Astros? I have no more. I have no more. Okay. Who's the prankster, like the jokester in the Who's the, the Orlando Razo, uh, essentially is what I'm asking in the, in the locker room and 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 keep, loves to keep everyone loose it seems like i have a couple guesses it could be reddick i feel like i know reddick i was gonna like go reddick a, a fun guy um but yeah based on your experience who who's that that jokester that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say reddick um a guy that not a ton of people know about miles straw he he's he's kind of the guy that keeps everything loose too he's kind of your your typical pinch runner guy he, he's kind of just that pesky little fifth outfielder that they just put in to run a lot but He's a guy that keeps it loose. He does impressions of everybody. He can do everybody's batting stance. He can do all that. So it's it's Straw and Reddick, and sometimes they work in tandem. Um, but but oh, Reddick, wow. yeah, but, Reddick, but Reddick's like Reddick brought the wrestling belts over. So they did the wrestling belts after the last two or three years, and he's always been the guy like that. But Springer too. Springer's not the great. Oh, I don't want to say that, but Springer's Springer doesn't have the biggest personality in the world. You know when he's on camera. But when he's in the clubhouse, like they used to do club Astros um, after they won a game and it was, they had a fog lights, they had strobe lights and they would just play a bunch of like, basically like trap music. And Springer was the DJ and like Springer was the guy that brought the strobe lights and all that kind of stuff. So he's got that sort of, he's got that kind of, um, you know, pull in the clubhouse and he's that sort of guy that's able to do that sort of stuff. So jokester is probably reddick or straw and then springer's kind of a dark horse guy that keeps it light too gotcha gotcha and and you can neither confirm nor deny this but heaters reddick big heater well, guy so that actually came out and i mean i think i can say this now because like please do reddick, yeah. like reddick's gone and gaddis is gone like it, espn um, they had a reporter come and like follow the Astros for a couple days in, in 2018 during the season. And like, they wrote in the story that Reddick and Gaddis like would just chief heaters in the, like before BP and bunch, and they would, and they wrote it. And there was a lot of people that got mad about it. Like Reddick was not happy. Gaddis was not happy, but it was out there. And I mean, it got published and um, I do think Reddick quit though because he just, they just had twin, him and his wife had twin boys about a year ago. So I do think he quit Gaddis. I'm, I don't know where the hell Evan Gaddis is now, but I'm sure he's probably still enjoying a heater or two. He's probably <laughs> um, around. Yeah. But yes, yes. I can confirm that. That's awesome. That's all. I, I really wanted to ask that. <laughs> um, I do have one more question. Um, it has nothing to do with baseball. Um, but you know, we, we really appreciate you taking the time. This has been really, really fucking cool. Um, in my, in my mind, just because I, you're on the inside, you're really giving us some insight that I, I truly had no idea about. Right. Um, so we really, really appreciate it, but you covered 
Bama football for a year, mm-hmm. correct? What yep. year was that? It was the year that they won on the walk-off touchdown pass. I was so there, Tua, I was there for the Tua walk-off touchdown. Yeah. Okay. Do uh, you have your best Nick Saban story? So the thing about Saban is like it, it, if you've ever like covering college sports and covering pro sports are two completely different animals. Like the access in college is I talked, we talked to Nick Saban twice a week. He came before a podium, talked for eight minutes. We all got one question and then he left. It was like, he was on a podium. We were um, like sitting, like we were in class basically. And you got called on and you got called on to like ask your question and whatever. Um, But I did, um, if you go to my Twitter account, my Twitter like header is I hosted his media radio show one week and every, cause every week um, he does a radio show during the regular season on Thursdays. And there's always a media guest host. And I got to, I was the media guest host one week and, you know, I sat like three feet away from him for an hour and he didn't make co- eye contact with me once. Just, he had no time for this. <laughs> he, he like, he, the man is so like dialed in to like the minute like he got there, he gave me a limp handshake looking away from me. He sat there, took the calls he had to take, answered the questions he had to answer, gave me a limp handshake with no look and walked out. Like, I mean, he is just so dialed in and so just, there is, he's a robot. I think robot's probably the best way to put it. Like, I mean, he's just, and, and I respect the hell out of him for it because it's worked. Like he's the greatest coach of all time. And um, just watching it in person was, was something to see, but yeah, I, I sat three feet away from him and didn't say a word to him. So you didn't try zero small talk, like nothing about the weather, about the breakfast that he might've had. Or well, like- so they like part of the guest hosting like requirements was like, I asked him four or five questions on air. So like, I mean, he put on his face for that and he answered the questions, whatever, but like in between segments, like, he leaves it's at a it's at like some sports bar in Tuscaloosa they take him off of the stage and he's flanked by like three security guys and um his like right hand man and they just go around the restaurant and he just signs autographs and like you give the you give whatever you want autograph to the policeman the policeman gives it to Saban Saban signs it it goes to the policeman and back like it is a whole operation and if you would see people and I don't want this to be stereotypical because I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I am a Southerner. Like that's just but if you see the look in some of these people's eyes when they see Nick Saban, like it's like they saw God. Like it's like it is unbelievable. He's like a deity there. And like people camp out at the restaurant like just to get a spot to like watch this radio show every week. Like it's there's one guy named Pee Wee from Grand Bay, Alabama. He's the first caller every week. And that's like the highlight of his life. And like, there are people that call into that radio show that say like, that can't get through their question. Like they, they're so nervous and they, they, or they, they start like breaking out their voice starts cracking because they're talking to Nick Saban. And like seeing that, it's just like, it's, it's surreal, man. It, it really is. Yeah. I've always wanted to have like an alternative identity where I just call into SEC radio shows and just kind of just let let it fly. Just see what I can. Paul Feinbaum or something. Yeah, just see what type of hot takes I could throw at Feinbaum. Well, like a lot of those, like Saban's, I mean, obviously they screened a lot of those calls. Like they knew what a lot of these people were going to ask. But one of them, I remember when I was covering the team, um, it was right around when um, Colin Kaepernick had just started to kneel for the anthem. 
And, you know, Saban keeps pretty buttoned up on all that kind of stuff. But a guy got through and he said, I'm a veteran and I want to know what you would do if one of your players kneels on the sideline. And you could have heard a freaking pin drop. But Saban came back and give him, and this is what a lot of people don't know about Nick Saban. He is one of the smartest human beings ever. And he came back and gave one of the most diplomatic and most, um, most, one of the best answers I've seen about the subject, completely unprepared for it, completely off the cuff. He did a great job with it and he got universally praised. So um, it's just, it's very interesting to see how colleges kind of treat their coaches. You know, they didn't want Saban ask anything he wasn't prepared for because he's such a preparation fool that like he wants to know exactly what he's going to say and how he's going to say it. But even when he's caught off guard, he's able to do it pretty well. That is awesome. I couldn't even imagine what that bar must have like just everyone just like a movie, like everyone just like, turns I, around. Like I wasn't there. I was watching it like they stream it on Facebook like every week. <laughs> so we all watch it just to make sure he doesn't say anything like newsworthy. And even when I was like, I just was watching it and you could feel it like through the computer. You could feel just like everybody tense up and like, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> man. oh man, that's great. Um, Al, you got uh, you got any final Final questions for our boy here? I don't, Chandler. Thank you so much for joining, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was really awesome. We can't be a pro Astros po- podcast every time someone from an organization comes on. We say we are now a pro, you know, whatever. Uh, we're pro Mariners, we're pro Giants, uh, pro A's. We can't say that, but we can say that we are a pro Chandler Rome uh podcast that's and, right uh, you are that's welcome right. on anytime to talk astros talk ball talk some sec football that should be like in your twitter bio that should be like on spotify or on the on uh, the podcast description that should be like the first line a pro yeah. chandler Rome pro chandler, pro chandler Rome podcast <laughs> well retweet it to your many followers and then i will um, i will do that and then we'll, we'll we'll go from there but seriously you're welcome on anytime um we we love we love to bring guys back on we've actually never done it but we've talked about it so well hopefully next year i'll be able to get back in the clubhouse again and i can give you all some actual insight as opposed to just um seeing what players have to say on zoom all right hey man we we got to compete with what we got and uh but until then you know take care we appreciate it and uh welcome on anytime yeah no problem thanks for having me guys For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.